And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. It's, of course, Monday as we uh, get ready. Uh, this, this week, right, we're going to kick off, really, the big bulk of earnings. Uh, they started kind of trickling in a little bit last week, mostly uh, regional banks, major banks. And uh, today is kind of the same, more of those banks. But starting really this week and moving into next week is all the big companies, right? Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon. They're just, we are about to get hit over the next really couple of weeks uh, with about 80% of the S&P 500 will all report earnings. So we're about to get into it very, very quickly in terms of seeing just how good these earnings are. Uh, estimates are, are, have been lowered dramatically. So again, that bar is set very low. So expect a lot of beats. Uh, that certainly won't be surprising here. Um, that's also been helping fuel this market here uh, over the last few days. Of course, big news uh, on Friday. We'll talk about this some more in a minute when we do our uh, before the bell wrap. Uh, markets hit an all-time high, and we'll talk about the implications of that. Um, but outside of that, you know, overall, what we've talked about before, and this is very important, and is that back in 2010, when Ben Bernanke was Fed chairman at the time, uh, just as we were launching the second round of quantitative easing, so you know, coming out of the financial crisis, we did QE1, that ended in June of 2010, then in September of 2010, uh, we launched QE2. And at that time, at the FOMC meeting, uh, Ben Bernanke said, well, the reason that we're doing this is that higher asset prices, and again, this is why we know that QE does affect the market because Ben Bernanke told us, higher asset prices boost consumer confidence, which leads to stronger rates of economic growth. So there you go. People feel better when asset prices go up. That's not surprising. And interestingly enough, not surprising, consumer confidence index is out last week uh, from the conference board and, and showing just very drastic, I'm sorry, University of Michigan, showed very drastic increases in consumer confidence. Not just, and, and this is not just, you know, a current asset prices, right, and, and their current confidence right now not only jumped sharply, highest level in two and a half years, but it was also future expectations, their financial situation, expectations for home prices have increased sharply. Retirement income is at a new high. So retirees expecting better, better retirement income now is at a new high. So all of a sudden, this rally just really since November has done a drastic turn in consumer confidence. It's just across the board, people are feeling much better. Now, of course, uh, that should get people out spending more money. We saw retail sales on Friday, um, you know, showing that, or, or last week, I'm sorry. Uh, but retail show, uh, sales were, were decent in December. And, and again, really no sign of an economic slowdown, economic recession at this point. And now this big jump in consumer confidence also suggests that there's really no risk of a recession, at least not now, because consumers are feeling very good about themselves and with more money in the bank, they're certainly gonna go out and spend that money. Now, whether or not they actually do that, we'll see. But again, we, we, there is certainly a big boost in consumer confidence. And this is all, now that, what's you know, fascinating about all of this is that this is all 
a function of just guesses that the Fed is going to start cutting rates and, and doing QE again, right? We haven't even done it yet, right? We haven't even done QE yet. We haven't even cut rates yet. And already consumers are in markets in, in particular um, are, are very, very optimistic. In fact, consumer expectations for higher stock prices over the next year jump sharply as well. So again, there is just really optimism across the board um, from these, uh, these indexes. We're even seeing it from the uh, National Association of Business. That is, you know, just increases there. The NABE report just came out. Optimism on the rise across the board. So this last two years of drudge and disappointment looks to be, at least at this point, behind us. Doesn't seem to be, you know, as inflation's coming down, things are improving economically. People are feeling a whole lot better about themselves. And that's translating really into optimism you know, from both the individuals as well as the business side of the component. So, you know, again, we'll see what happens as we get further into this year. But again, right now, it's kind of, you know, all engines on deck moving forward at this point. So it's just, you know, we're, we're just doing very well. But here's what you need to know before the bell. So good news, bad news. Um, on Friday, good news, of course, on Friday, markets registered a new all-time high. So again, this has gotten everybody very excited here. Markets are pointing higher this morning. Again, not surprising once you set a new all-time high, you're likely going to repeat that here because you just get a lot of momentum going. And we've had a lot of momentum in this market really ever since those uh, November, kind of those October lows from last year. Um, market's still doing very well here. Um, now, here's the interesting point. <laughs> you know, a lot of people talk about, well, you know, just buy and hold an S&P 500 index. That's fine. But here's the issue with that. We are now back after two years, almost to the day, a little bit longer, but with a 0.9% increase in the markets from where we were two years ago. So yes, while we've had a tremendous rally really from the lows of October of 2022, um, markets have done very well here. Um, but we are just been spending a lot of time getting back to even on a buy and hold basis. So now the bad news, of course, is if you, if you were needing 6% a year, there's still 12% we still have to make up from here. So we just now got back to making money after two years. But nonetheless, markets are registering new highs. New highs tend to beget new highs. Um, the question is, is how much higher are we going to go? And again, we have to at some point begin to talk about fundamentals, uh, valuations, et cetera. But at least right now, none of that's, uh, that's kind of all in the rearview mirror. Uh, we still are running a, a uh, MACD uh, sell signal very, very high. That's about to flip back to a buy signal. The problem with that is that you're flipping back to a buy signal at a fairly high level, which that can occur. And we saw this previously back in June and July. Market was making an advance. We had a sell signal early. Uh, market flipped back to a buy signal from a high level. The market rallied some more. Not a huge rally, but then we got the next sell signal and you had that 10% correction. We're likely going to be set up for some, some event like that because we've had a very, very strong rally here ever since November lows. And again, this could last for another month or two. But again, we kind of flip back to a buy signal here. We're already back to overbought conditions again. So that little bit of work off of that overbought condition has already been reversed. So we're moving back into overbought conditions very quickly. You've got a very high level MACD at this point. Suggests that yes, upside here is likely going to continue at least for the next 
could be next week, next couple of weeks, next month, particularly as we have earnings coming in, that's likely gonna support this because we'll have companies coming in, they're beating estimates, even though they're lowered, but it's good news. So markets kind of grind their way higher, but then after that, we're likely gonna be set up here for another leg of a, a consolidation or a correction over a period of time. So again, doesn't mean you shouldn't take advantage of this. Yes, you know, right now, increase some equity exposure. We're breaking out. Uh, if we get a good confirmation of this breakout over the next day or two, in other words, the markets hold it this week, no reason not to increase some equity exposure here near term as markets continue to rally up here a bit. Kind of, again, it's momentum, it's excitement. Once you kind of break out to new highs, that tends to beget new highs. So go ahead and participate with that, but be a little bit cautious here. Just realize markets are very overbought and you're going to get some type of correction at some point, which will give you a better opportunity to further increase exposure then. So again, a little bit of trading here. You can take some uh, advantage of this but don't forget to sell some along the way as well. Uh, take some profits as we get there. Uh, that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, lots of stuff to get into. And again, we'll kind of start talking about what's coming up this week um, as we kind of get into this and, and talk about uh, the rest of the things going on within the economy. Stick around, more of the Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. So again, um, you know, good news this morning. Markets are going to be up. Uh, S&P is currently up about another 16 points this morning. Uh, NASDAQ up 115. And, of course, the Dow is also up. You know, so basically you have all your indexes. And we, we talked a little bit about this last week. In fact, when I told Brent the title of the show this morning, he's like, we said that last week. I said, well, now it actually happened. Um, because we talked about the fact that with the NASDAQ hitting all-time highs, it was just a function of time until the S&P hit at all-time highs. You know, when, when you're close to all-time highs, it's like a magnet, right? And it's just markets want to get there. And, of course, once you get there, then it's kind of everybody gets all excited that you're at a new all-time high. And, and so it kind of just, again, it kind of feeds on itself here a bit. So you kind of get this, you know, big jump in exuberance and confidence and, you know, things are great and, you know, the bad times are behind us. And look, and, and that's, a, that's a true statement. You know, if we go back and we look over the last two years, um, man, a lot's been going on. You know, you had the invasion of Ukraine and, and you know, we were coming out of the pandemic and, and all those type of things that were going on were associated to the whole pandemic issue Lots of concerns about inflation, and that was followed by, you know, what's happening in Israel. I mean, it's just been just one kind of, you know, kind of catastrophe after another that's been going on. And yet the markets have weathered all this very, very well, um, relatively speaking, right? I mean, yeah, the markets were down 19% in 2022, but recovered all of that in 2023. So here we are in 2024, all-time highs. And so certainly, you know, you go look back and you think about all the angst. And we were talking about so much of that here on the show, right? There was so much angst out there about whether it was the political environment or the economic environment or whatever it was. And we're like, hey, just, you know, be careful with this because markets will do stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. And 
you know, you got to be careful with these kind of big macro theses. Remember the whole we, we spent, what, a couple of months here talking about the death of the dollar. And it was concerned that, you know, that was going to destroy everything at that point. We're like, hey, just be careful with this. This is, you know, kind of not the way that works. And, and again, here we are at new all-time highs. And, and look, you may not like it, <laughs> but it, it, the fact is we're here. And yeah, valuations are still problematic. Um, earnings growth is, you know, anemic at best at this point, at least for fourth quarter. And we'll see if all this can actually turn around. Um, all this has to do with a lot of liquidity that's been coming into the markets and the economy, right? And that's still coming. We haven't changed any of that dynamic yet. And so these are the things that we have to, you know, kind of watch and pay attention to um, as the markets respond off of that. And as I said, as markets go up, that increases confidence, which fuels economic activity, which further boosts asset prices. <laughs> so, you know, you're caught in this kind of a cycle here. So my, you know, my conversation here is be careful being overly bearish at this point, because there's really no reason to be overly bearish right now. Um, but look, I mean, I, we can certainly kind of go through some bearish backdrops, right? Small caps are not performing. You know, they're not anywhere near all-time highs. Um, if you take a look at the breakout of all-time highs, and I, I touched on this this weekend in the newsletter, uh, which is on the website now at realinvestmentadvice.com, you know, that we're back to the mega cap rally. Um, the S&P market cap weighted index is up this year, uh, about one and a half percent-ish. But the equal weighted index, which strips out some of the impact of those big, big mega, I mean, they're still in the index in the equal weighted basis, but, you know, they're not as big of a component. You know, that's not doing nearly as well. There's about a, a, a uh, almost a 2% gap between the performance of those two indexes. So again, you know, we're seeing this very narrow rally at this point. Small caps not performing, international emerging markets really not doing that well. But it's this chase for technology, the big mega caps, AI. And, and it, was, it was interesting because, you know, there's this whole issue going on in, in Davos right now. And they're talking about some of the topics that are coming out of there, you know, from the CEOs of these companies talking about the next AI. I thought there was an interesting comment that Salesforce uh, co-founder and CEO Mark Minoff said that he sees a world of digital people taking shape. And, you, and that's kind of an interesting fact. That, you know, that's, that's going to be the case. You know, you know, right now you have, there was a, an interesting article out over the weekend, and it was listing 10 jobs that you can have right now where you don't have to talk to people, which there's a lot of people that want that job, right? <laughs> I don't like people either. So if I could have a job where I don't talk to people, it'd be great. Um, but, you know, one of those was working for a company dealing with their chat, their live chat, right? So you just sit behind the screen and answer people's questions through live chat. You know, it's interesting because we've talked about this before that technology is really great to a point. We can increase productivity using technology. And, and we assume that increases in productivity lead to better economic outcomes. But is that really the case? 
And we've gone through these examples before. You know, we take a look at the average American, you know, look at uh, disparities of income and those type of things. And, and there is a direct correlation between increases in productivity and less economic prosperity. And, you know, we've gone through examples before. You know, how many companies do you go to now? You know, one of our things here at RA Advisors is, is that we are we really pride ourselves on customer service and being very interactive and talking to people. And having somebody actually answer the phone. So if you call, somebody actually answers the phone. And most, I mean, unless it's after hours, obviously, or, or everybody's busy. You might get, you know, uh, a voicemail at that point. But most of the time, you're, somebody's going to pick up the phone and answer your question. And what's interesting is, is how many companies do you call today where when you call the, the front desk of that company, somebody picks up the phone? Or... Are the vast majority of companies that you call, the first step is press one for English, press two for Spanish, right? And then you start going through the tree to get to where you want to go. Yeah, and everybody's like, everybody's like, all right, and I was like, yeah, it's, it's terrible. But back in the day, right, the receptionist was a very, very important role for every company. They were the first line of offense for the company. So when some when when that prospect or that lead or that question came in and it hit the front desk and she was the one, he was the one, whoever it was at the front desk, were taking those calls and routing them to wherever they needed to go, right? On a live basis. And that was a very important job. Those jobs don't exist anymore. Because of why? Technology. And we can just go down the list. How many jobs have, have been lost? I mean, and this it impacts, you know, robotics have impacted, and, and technology, I shouldn't say just robotics, but robotics, technology, uh, have impacted every business. I mean, you know, we've replaced spot welders with robots for car manufacturers. And, you, you know, it, you can't really find a job or, a, uh, or, you know, somewhere in the environment where jobs have not been reduced. I shouldn't say lost because they're not lost, right? I just don't need as many people. I used to be able to do this job, and, and we've talked about even running the radio show here that, you know, 20 years ago, it would take five people to run a show like this. Now we do it with two. <laughs> and that number may be one at some point. If I can figure out how to do everything myself, <laughs> we could get it down to one. Technology robotics and AI may take the place of Brent at some point. I'm not sure how, but <laughs> I'm just saying it's possible. And, and so we, we, we all, and, and the, the thesis behind this is always very simplistic, which is, well, just because Brent lost his job to AI, that just gives him time to go do something else, right, where he can make more money. The problem is, is that, AI is going to replace jobs everywhere. And unlike a lot of technology that replaced very kind of support type roles, again, we all lost receptionist because we had automated phone services. Now, theoretically, that person was smart and went out, went back to college got a law degree and became a lawyer, right? You know, and and so that person, because that person didn't, this is the thesis, right? And this isn't true, but this is the thesis, is that 
as technology replaces jobs, then those people go get better jobs. Or the other thesis is, well, you know, somebody's got to maintain the artificial intelligence. Well, not everybody can go out and go get jobs, you know, programming artificial intelligence. There's there's a limit to those jobs, limit to every job. This is this is one of the key arguments with the development of the internet back in. 1999, 1998, but when Brent and I were doing the show back then, we had plenty of conversations back then about we were watching people graduate college at that point, and they were website programmers, and they were getting offered $300,000 jobs to come program websites, getting cars, big signing bonuses, you name it, because there was such a high demand for people to program websites and write the code for them. And so... Everybody started doing that. People were losing their, you know, people lost their jobs because of the internet and they became web programmers. And as more and more people became web programmers, those salaries declined because it's always supply and demand. So artificial intelligence and the idea of digital people taking shape sounds great, but now we need to start talking about the displacement of jobs that occur because of digital people. And the thing about AI is that it's not gonna be just receptionists that gets replaced. AI is infiltrating engineering, computerization, lawyers, architects, accounting. Your highest wage paying jobs are being impacted by productivity increases from artificial intelligence. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Looking for clarity for your investments in the new year? You must attend our 2024 Economic Summit, Navigating Markets in a Presidential Cycle, featuring Greg Valier. Trump will be a big presence. The bigger story, in my opinion, is how weak Joe Biden is going to be. Is the Fed finished tightening? Liquidity, I think, is underestimated. Will rates ease this summer? States are still flush with cash. They haven't spent all their money from the pandemic relief bill. How will the election affect your investments? I don't see any political figure right now who can bring the country conclusively back together again. Register now for our 2024 Economic Summit, Navigating Markets in a Presidential Cycle, featuring Greg Valier with special guest Adam Tackard, plus Michael Lebowitz and Lance Roberts, Saturday, January 27th at the Hotel Sonesta Houston. Navigating Markets in a Presidential Cycle, featuring Greg Valier, Saturday, January 27th at the Hotel Sonesta Houston. Registration open now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. So, uh... Just talk a little bit about, you know, this this kind of very interesting article talking about AI, because obviously this is, you know, as markets are hitting all time highs, this is really all about the companies that can, you know, really take advantage of artificial intelligence, right? Companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, um, 
you know, these are the companies that uh, Salesforce, uh, uh, you know, which is the CRM company. Uh, these are the companies that will be able to take advantage of and use artificial intelligence um, in its kind of early stages and it continues to develop it will just start to infiltrate more and more into the economy. And, and this is going to be, you know, there's really nothing to stop this coming. Of course, you know, knowing this is happening, I spent all weekend watching all the Terminator series just to, just to you know, get all my facts together for the show this morning. Um <laughs> but, you know, there's really nothing to stop the development of AI at this point. It's, it's here. It's been here for over a decade. It's just now really coming to the forefront. We're now really starting to see the impact of it. And, of course, the companies that are driving that development, companies like NVIDIA, AMD, uh, Google, others, um, obviously being reflected in people piling money into those companies right now. And we're seeing those asset prices drive higher. And the whole purpose of this conversation was to, uh, which I digressed a bit, um, was simply what's driving the market currently. And that doesn't seem to be changing here in the near term because of a couple of reasons. One, we have the passive indexing effect that we talked about before. So every time somebody just, you know, oh, the S&P is hitting a new high today, I'm going to buy more S&P index fund. Well, 30, 35% of every dollar goes into those stocks that are the biggest market cap in the index. So you have that factor. You have the passive flow factor that is driving markets higher. The second reason, of course, is also is that these same companies, Apple, Google, Microsoft, NVIDIA, they're so large and they're so liquid that as a you know, for, for hedge fund managers, for pension funds, et cetera, if I just buy those stocks, I will get a big chunk of the S&P performance, up or down, because there's such a large weight in the index, what they do drives the overall index. So I can hide there. I can get index performance, and I can hide in stocks that are highly liquid. So I, they're easy in, easy out. If I need to get my money out very quickly, I can do that without moving the price of the stock much. I can move billions of dollars in and out of these companies, and it doesn't affect the market that much. Can't do that with small cap companies. Then there's also the buyback effect. Small cap, mid caps can't buy back shares to improve earnings. Large companies can't. So from a portfolio management standpoint for pension funds, hedge funds, you know, uh, mutual funds, you know, et cetera, these are the companies that are easy to put money into. Now, none of that has to do anything with valuations, right? We don't, we don't, we don't care about valuations at this point. Valuations are passe. Valuations, sure, they matter, but not right now, not in the short term. And we've become a very short-term focused market. Everything that we do right now is based on this week, next week, this month, this year, not five years from now. Because everyone has become very short-term focused. Individual investors, they don't look out, you know, hey, I'm going to buy this stock for the next 10 years. They're like, I'm buying this stock for today, next week, and if it works, great. It's going up, I got to buy it. Average holding time, less than five months, and that's getting worse. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that probably in the next 10 years, the average holding time for a stock will be less than a month. I'm just... <laughs> You know, we're, we're just slowly heading in that direction. We've just turned the markets into a very big casino. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You just need to understand the animal you're dealing with. So 
you know, as we as we as we look at, you know, how the market is operating, right, and and how things are occurring. You know, this this makes it more difficult to run a well diversified portfolio, and you know, a lot of the old rules that we live by in the '80s and the '90s, and we talk about Markowitz, we talk about you know, um, you know Buffett and 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 these guys that were buying value and buying these things and expecting long term holding periods. It just that doesn't work anymore. Now. It should, right? Valuations should matter. They just don't right now. Because if valuations mattered, people would be paying 30 times sales for a company. But we do it every day. Because we have to. Because markets are going up. And those are the stocks that are going up. So I have to buy those companies. That's just that's just the way the market works right now. And there's nothing, again, there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to you just have to recognize it for what it is, right? And manage the risk accordingly. It's just a different market. This isn't your grandfather's market anymore, right? This isn't the market where valuations and fundamentals matter. They haven't mattered for a long time. Why? Because we've had $43 trillion worth of liquidity poured into the markets over the last decade. It's changed the game. Now, at some point, that may change again, right? We may stop injecting the markets with mass. We may not be able to inject the markets with massive amounts of liquidity at some point. At some point, we may get a change in the administration that says, hey, you know what? We need to be fiscally responsible for a change. That's not great for the markets. Austerity is not good for the markets or the economy, mind you. Right? And this is why nobody wants to do it, as we've talked about before. If I want to get elected, I don't want to do austerity. In today's media, uh, such things as talking about austerity and fiscal responsibility are fascist, right? We can't do that. We have to do things that divert and redistribute tax dollars, which are not good long term. They don't create economic prosperity. And, you know, it's a fascinating sociological experiment that we're in right now because we're doing the very things that reduce economic prosperity for the masses. We see a lot of clear tension within the overall economy between the haves and the have-nots. But we keep doing the same thing, right? Because it boosts the stock market. And at some point along the way, and this really began probably under the Clinton administration, is that we began to equate political success with stock market success. If the stock market's going up, I'm doing a good job as president. If the stock market's going down, I'm not doing as good a job as president. And that's where we kind of lost our way. Instead of doing what was economically right, we started doing what was economically easy. And so... We have these discussions now about debts and deficits and all that. And, and they're great conversations to talk about the surging deficit. In fact, we wrote a whole article on Friday how deficit spending is keeping the economy out of recession. Just had a massive surge in the last quarter of the year in the deficit. Lots of expenditures coming into the economy. Falling tax revenues. 
And there's a clear indication, you know, that there's a disconnect. Economy's doing great. Tax revenues are falling. Where do tax revenues come from? Tax revenues come from the income generated by individuals and corporations. So if those are falling on an annualized basis, there's something going on within the economy. In other words, people aren't making as much income, even though the economy seems to be, on the surface anyway, doing well. How is the economy doing well? That's the deficit spending. As we, and, and as Greg is going to talk about uh, this coming Saturday, which if you haven't gotten your tickets for the summit this Saturday, I encourage you to get by the website and do it. There's a few left. But he'll be talking about the fact that a lot of these cities and municipalities have not spent all the pandemic money yet. That's still there. And those projects, those shovel-ready jobs, like uh, President Obama says, shovel-ready is not so shovel-ready. A lot of those shovel-ready jobs are just now starting to come online. We're seeing chips plant. Uh, the CHIPS Act is, is leading to uh, semiconductor plants being built in North Carolina and other places. Those take years. Got to develop them, design them, construct them, get them operational. Takes years. So that activity, those jobs that it creates doing that, creates economic activity. The problem, of course, is that what happens once the building's built? And the people are hired. Yeah, we created some jobs. Great. But once it's done, that economic activity goes away. The demand for those construction goods goes away, right? It's done. It's built. And this is the, but we're still left with the debt that was used to fund it. And so we've got to keep servicing that debt, even though we don't have the economic activity coming from those dollars that we borrowed to build it. And this is the problem with all of this spending that we've done is that at the end of the day, it's non-productive investment. And we still got to service the debt. All right, enough of that. When we come back, um, get ready to wrap up the show. I'm trying to find an article I wanted to talk to you about this morning, but I haven't been able to. I've lost it. So if I if I don't find it, I'll I'll pick another topic. But come back after the break, and hopefully I can find it on the break. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Well, I could find my article. So... It was there and then it's gone. It's been uh, it's been Google hold, I guess. <laughs> anyway, it was an interesting article about uh, economic dynamics and you know how we, you know how 
you know, kind of the reason that sometimes there's this big disconnect between what we think about the economy and what's actually happening. You know, and part and, and this was also a, a good question. I wrote an article for Tuesday um, for uh, Newsmax. So Newsmax emailed me over the weekend and said, hey, can you write an article about these all time highs when there's such a big disconnect between the markets and, and what people think about the economy? If you take a look at polls as an example, um, you know, what do you think about the economy? Currently, you know, those, you know, the approval ratings for President Biden are very low. The economic ratings are very low for the economy. And, and yet markets are hitting all time highs. And you would think there would be some type of connection, you know, kind of between those two. If the, if the markets are doing well, then, you know, sentiment should be doing a lot better. And we're certainly seeing improvements in consumer sentiment. Those indexes, like, like I said, were up sharply here over the last you know month or so. But. You know, again, there's still a, a bit of a disconnect between what happens in the markets and what happens in the economy and how we feel about it. And again, you know, the, one of the, the, the overriding issues, of course, is that, you know, roughly about 86% of the stock market is owned by the top 10% of income earners. So it, it's a, you know, a few people. And again, if you're, if you're listening to the show right now, it's probably because you have money invested in the financial markets. Um, People don't normally listen to financial talk shows <laughs> that much, which is interesting, right? I mean, this is your money. It's the most, you know, second most important thing we have, you know, our families first, and then we need the money to support our family. So money is very important, but yet we spend very little time educating ourselves about how money actually works. It was a, a, an interesting um, video over the weekend. It was a, a young gentleman talking about the lack of education he received in school. And that, and specifically graduating high school, now not college. He was talking about the what you learn in public schools, and you know he was talking about that. You know, school never taught him. You know, while school taught him, you know, Pythagorean's theorem, which he will never use in his life, most likely. He didn't learn anything functional about being a citizen, right? And and you know, balancing a checkbook or understanding the, you know, how credit works and understanding what a credit score means and, you know, how to buy a house, you know, you know, all these kind of very basic financial things that we should know, right? We're not taught. And so we go out in life when we make all these really bad financial mistakes because, well, you know, the, the meat, you know, the banks constantly, you know, every, every day I get, credit card offers at my house, right? So for somebody who doesn't understand the impact of credit, instead of those envelopes going immediately in the trash, they get opened. And so we make all these bad mistakes. And then we wind up in a position, and there's another good article over the weekend talking about buy now, pay later, and we've talked about the, the issues with buy now, pay later. Those bills are now coming due for many of these individuals that rack them up over the Christmas shopping season. There was a, a video of a, a comedian. She's a young comedian, and, and um, you know, she was lamenting the fact that she spent $1,500 on her family over Christmas on buy now, pay later. It sounded like a really good opportunity at the time. Hey, I just, I buy it now, and I just make four easy payments, you know, over the course of the next year. But now she's $1,500 in debt. She goes, I don't know where the money's coming from. Because now the bill's here. And this, and this is always the problem with this. And so, you know, what happens, 
you know, for the vast majority of Americans, that 80% of Americans that, A, don't have any money really invested in the financial markets to any great degree, they're living paycheck to paycheck, they have no cash flow, they're massively in debt. You ask them what's going on in the economy, it's a vastly different opinion than the people that have money invested in the markets. Like, oh, it's great. Man, market's hitting all-time highs. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm making money. It's a big difference. And so when we take a look at a lot of this economic data, we have to be careful with understanding that it's impacted and skewed in many measures by the top 10% of income earners. You know, we talk about, you know, debt to income ratios or savings ratios, et cetera. There's a big difference between a person that, you know, is actually able to save money versus the large number of people who can't. Debt and savings ratios for the bottom 80% are very different than those in the top 10%. But because the top 10% skew the data because of wealth and net worth and those type of things, especially the top 50%, and, and really if you, if you, if you kind of look at the strata of the breakdown of net worth, and this includes the value of your house, Right? So once we start including the value of a house, it's a, it's a little bit different picture than just the stock market. But even once you include the value of the home and the net worth, the top 10 and 20% of the strata make up a very big chunk of that household net worth. It's also the area where it's grown the most. For the bottom 50%, their net worth has not grown much over the course of the last 30, 40 years. It's grown some, but not tremendously. So as is always the case, when we talk about, well, how, how is the economy doing? It's, it's doing great for some of us, right? But for a large number of people, it's not. And there's a very big disparity. And again, if you're, and, and, you know, I, I was talking about on Friday when I was, you know, talking with Adam Taggart is that, you know, if you take, there was a recent poll out and they listed the top 10 most watched podcasts, right? Or, 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 you know, shows on YouTube, true crime, you know, those type of, those type of things. Those are the ones and my wife loves true crime. She's, she's been plotting to kill me for years. <laughs> Funny story real quick about her last night. We're at home and you know, she's getting older and she refuses to go to the doctor and get eyeglasses because she just doesn't want to wear glasses. And so, and so, you know, her vision's getting a little more farsighted as she gets older. And uh, we're at home watching a, a, a show last night, which, you know, and, and the guy picks up his phone and, and on his phone is a text message and the letters are just huge. You know, and they, they had made the letters big on the phone. So it would pick up on, so you could read the text message, you know, in the movie. And she's like, why is his text so large? She goes, I can't, mine aren't that big. I can't even read the text on my phone. I said, well, honey, I said, you have, you have a, a, a phone? I said, if you just click on a text message, you can like expand it. And she's, she clicks on a text message and she's trying to expand it and, and it won't expand. And I'm like, she's like, it doesn't work. And I go, well, I said, is that an Apple? And, and, and she's like, yeah, that's my Apple. I said, well, try your Android because she has two phones, one for work and her personal. <laughs> 
And so she gets it on her Android and she tries it there and it won't work on the Android. And I said, well, it works on mine. And, and so I showed her, I said, you know, I said, look, you know, and so I put a, pulled up, it was actually a text message from Brent and I was expanding it and reducing it. She goes, mine doesn't work that way. And I said, honey, yours has already expanded as far as it can go. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she goes, well, it's just not fair. It's not as big as the one on television. Um, but anyway, <laughs> the... The, the, foul, the, the problems of getting older <laughs> and having to read things up close. <laughs> yeah. It's always, you know, people are getting more creative too at restaurants. You'll see them. They'll, they'll take a picture of the menu with their phone and then expand the, <laughs> expand the picture on their phone. <laughs> yeah. That's why, <laughs> that's why I went to Dr. Witsit and fixed that problem. Yeah. So anyway, I digress. Um, Anyway, there's, there's this big disparity, kind of like messages on the phone, between, you know, what people actually see in the economy and what's actually happening. And, and this is one of the things that we'll have to continue to deal with this year as we move forward is, is when we see this data, understand that there, again, because and this is going to be a big part of the election coming up this year as well, that uh, Greg will be talking about this Saturday is the people's view about the economy because it's you know when when you take a look at the top 10 podcasts that are watched on YouTube finance isn't even on the top 10 list people aren't getting people aren't educated about finance now again if you're watching this show it's because you've got money invested in the markets it's important to you and so you're trying to learn about what's going on and keeping up with it and that's great and I applaud you for that but you're you are definitely in the minority. For the vast majority of people, they don't watch finance shows because there's nothing relevant to them as to what's happening in the financial markets. It doesn't affect them on a day-to-day -day basis. They're just trying to pay bills. They're just trying to live their life and raise their family and, and do their job. And they're not coming home to listen to a podcast on finance and, and markets and the economy and and it's stuff that we don't teach. And so for, for most people, it just goes right over their head. It's just stuff they don't, I don't get it, right? So I'm not even going to pay attention to it. The other side of the reason is, of course, is that they don't want to deal with it because it's depressing. <laughs> so it is what it is. But anyway, so over the next, yeah, we'll talk about this more on Saturday as well at the, at the upcoming summit. Uh, if you haven't got your tickets yet, you can do that online at the website. But, you know, this is stuff we're going to be dealing with all year is talking about this is what the economy says. This is what the market's doing. And those aren't necessarily going to be connected because of liquidity, spending, all these type of things. Anyway, if you haven't read the article on the website uh, from Friday about deficit spending, keeping the economy out of a recession, it's, it's worth a read. There's lots of charts in there, of course, as always, kind of supporting what's happening in the economy. All right, wraps up the show for today. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Um, we'll talk about what happened in the market today tomorrow. See you then.